Hello everybody, it's Superwolf, and welcome to another Friday Night Dice. Now again, like I mentioned uh, last week, we are not doing a campaign uh, tonight. Instead, we are doing a podcast. And tonight, uh, we'll be joined by none other than our current DM, which is Bailey. And once again, we are actually joined by Sean as well. Hello guys, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing How about I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, so again, we're talking. Tonight's topic is monsters, and specifically some homebrew monsters. Some actually are not homebrew. Some of them are actually exist in the Wizards of the Coast world. For <laughs> for I guess the best way to summarize it. Um, so yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I don't know. I don't know if you guys duel to see who goes first on what we're talking about. So uh, yeah. You guys take it away. I'm just along for the ride to ask questions, really. Uh, you can go ahead, John. Okay. Uh, what do we want to talk about first? Oh, what do you got? Oh, I've got, well, I've got five different flavors of... That's right. You're, that's uh, right. You're doing the, uh, you're doing the uh, Roll20 thing. So, yeah. So, again... We're going to go to the Roll20 demo field. This is Roll20 again. Is the application we use for our D&D role-playing or nightly Friday Night Dice every 7 p.m. Eastern right on this channel on my Superwolf Gaming, 2Ms Gaming. Uh, so, yeah, take it away on there. All right. I've got five different flavors of faction goons for you. These are... Mm modified versions of existing stat blocks. Uh, all right. So do you want to go in order or? Uh, let's, yeah, let's go in order from the top with the wolf guard. All right. And this one real fast because the wolf guard, it's a thug. Hey! It's the <laughs> thug stat block. They're with the addition of a longbow and better armor. I gave a thug plate mail and a longbow. Now, the reason I did this is because this faction, their whole deal is they work really well together. And thugs happen to be one of the few any race humanoids that have pack tactics. Yeah, I'd see that right now with the wolf. You're getting the wolf trade in there with the pack tactics. Pack tactics is really, really broken. I mean, there's some people like, like the gnolls. I think I think it's gnolls that have not gnolls. Um, kobolds. Uh, kobolds have the pack tactics thing, which actually got just I believe recently got taken away from them in the new Monsters Compendium that just came out. Um, they took it away from them actually now. Uh, they took it away from the race, the not yeah. the monsters. The monsters, right? Uh, the thing that makes it oh, real, the playable race, real, you're right. Yeah, real scary on a on a thug and on these wolf guards. Is they also have multi attack. Oof. Yeah. So they are, they're coming in in groups, making two, four, ten attacks at advantage, <laughs> and that's just from. Five of them. So if they roll initiative, they roll early, and if they can surround just one target, they're they might be going down pretty darn quick. And as a oh yeah, and you have them listed as I believe was like what a quarter, a half uh, challenge rating. 
Uh, that might not be accurate. I think that's what the thug is. I would the definitely only... raise it to at least maybe a three-quarter or a one. <laughs> uh, the thug has multi-attack and pack tactics. Oh, does it already? Yeah, the only difference oh, is wow. the thug has AC 13, I think. What? Okay. That's only... AC. I mean, yeah. It's a... But that's going to bring him up to a challenge rating one, I think. As well as you added the longbow, which gives them range capability. Yes. Yes. I, so I would probably alter this up to a challenge rating one, still. Well, I mean, this you say makes two attack, two melee attacks. So therefore, they only get one longbow attack, technically. Yeah. That's what it says. It might just be that he haven't he hasn't edited that specifically. Maybe. <laughs> Either way, for a. Uh, for, a, for the main grunt force of uh, the Wolf Guard, who are supposed to be zealous, ferocious protectors, who will absolutely destroy you, this lurks. <laughs> That's, Alrighty. You know? And I see you got a couple different kinds of dragon knights here. Let's talk about your first dragon knight before we get to the second one. Yeah, there's the dragon knight come from a completely different ethos of fighting. Mm -hmm. They are not about destroying their enemies. They are about solidarity and working as a team, sticking together through thick and thin. They are, well, they're the anime protagonists. <laughs> and so uh, they have a power that is the power of friendship. I th think <laughs> I've called it undying loyalty. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're bringing the My Little Ponies into this? The power of friendship. So I believe these guys are a guard stat block. Or a soldier stat block, maybe. Okay. I've given them plate mail, increased their HP up to 30. And as a reaction, once per short rest, they can heal one of their allies when they re are reduced to zero hit points. Fuck that ability, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is really well playtested, so I happen to know that this does this and a uh, and their ability to multi-attack once per short rest does bring them up to around a challenge rating one despite not doing much damage uh, uh mr sean quick question sure is this the kind of like monsters are going to be seeing in your campaign after this yes goddamn <laughs> <laughs> Here's a here's a preview of the shenanigans that I will be pulling on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, here's a preview of uh, the horrors that you that await you. Thank God I'm playing a swashbuckler. Oh. Yeah, yeah, these well oh. these things are the antithesis to a swashbuckler. Swashbuckler, you want to fight one on one. These guys are coming in groups of six. Well, both of them, even the wolf guard too. Yep. Uh, God. Now let's uh. I mean, we can briefly touch on the Dragon Knight Archer, which is only a different stat block insofar as it wears, uses a longbow and has lower armor class. 
Because it doesn't use a shield, I'm assuming? Because it does not use a shield. But it still has plate mail. But it still has plate mail, it still has one multi-attack, and it still has its heal. Or resurrect, I guess you could call it. Does the resurrect have a range on it? I believe the range is 100 feet. Oh, fuck you. But <laughs> what? they must uh, be able to see and hear each other. All right, so we're doing all of our fights against the uh, okay. Dragon Knights in oh. a fog cloud. Hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Time out, time out, time out, time out. What is the range? And this is I'm doing this off the... Hannah, what is the range of, uh, what is it, healing word? 60 feet. 60 feet. So this is further than healing word is. I want to make sure I'm actually on the page. Yes, I am on the page. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. Uh, oh, it gets worse. But the, uh, the next few that we'll be looking at uh, aren't going to be coming in big groups like those two. Well, okay, I like that a little more. Let's take a look at the uh, Forge like Paladin. Forge Paladin uh, is a priest stat block that I have taken. But, um, well, AC 20, plate mail and a shield. Mm -hmm. HP up to 30. Makes sense. Give it multi-attack because it's supposed to be a paladin and not a priest. I kept Divine Eminence the same as uh, I changed the damage type from Radiant to Fire because this is a Forge Paladin. And I uh, figured that might help because Radiant's so hard to get resistance to as a player. A little bit. <clears throat> and I decreased its spell casting so that it doesn't have third level spells. Well, actually, Leo's character would have resistance to Radiant, actually, wouldn't it? Yes, he would. Um, uh, but... Can I ask, oh, by the way, can I ask a quick question? Why does Leo play female characters? Hey, he's not the only one in this campaign. Well, no, he's only played female characters. Hey. Who else plays female? Who else is playing a female character? Spess. Oh, in your game. Okay. Like, not right now. Not right now. No, no, currently... Yeah, uh... Yeah, because Leo played... He played Dread. Oh, okay, yeah, I forgot about that. I keep forgetting Leo played Dread. So my bad. You know, he's only two for three. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep thinking he played, um, because... I keep getting messed up, because on the first... When we first started, he was playing, um... His Solaris. Solaris and then he switched to yeah. Dread when we, when we hit the reset... When we hit the reset button. Um, so yeah, I keep forgetting that. So the Forge Paladin, I gave them pretty, uh, I gave them thematic spells over useful ones. So they have Magic Weapon, Lesser Restoration, Shield of Faith. Basically, they're granting power that a, like a Forge Cleric does. Plus one to your armor class, plus one to your weapon. No, horrible. The thing is, Divine Eminence is a smite. They take a bonus action, and for every attack, 
they add 3d6 for a first level spell, 4d6 for a second level spell slot. That's on every attack. So, oh, so that's slightly better than Smite then. Yeah. They're wait, 4d6? They're doing 1d8 plus 3 plus 4d6 possible fire damage. Oh yes, it's a lot of damage. What's that it's average eight. out to? Um, four die six is averages out to fourteen. Uh, but one d eight plus three plus oh. say forty six, right? Uh, ten fourteen point uh, fifteen plus five twenty. So it's twenty one and a half. Twenty one and a half. Yep, according to this. Yep. Sounds about right for a paladin. Yeah. Shout out to any dice, by the way. (laughs) That does the math for you. (laughs) It does so much math for me. Oh, yes. I don't remember the numbers, but I did use it for all of these. Because, uh, yeah. The other thing, though, about a Forge Paladin, uh, its only ranged attack is Guiding Bolt. Which is spell. Yes. So no cantrips, Uh, though. No cantrips? No cantrips. It's a paladin. My paladin has... Do I? Your paladin no, I has sorcerer cantrips. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. I, yeah, that's that's, one, that's that early sorcerer dip I took because of that way I had a firebolt, so I had some sort of range without having to carry a javelin around or something like that. So Yeah. yeah. The artificer is the only half-caster with cantrips, I believe. I don't think rangers do either. Rangers and paladins can get one through a fighting style. Yes, through a fire well, style. base. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, these these guys are real deadly if you're right next to them. They're all otherwise... deadly if you're right next to them. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, but I've seen this one get a crit for forty damage. <sighs> but I've also seen this one get absolutely trounced by someone casting grease. Thanks for the idea. Maybe I will switch back to my artificer. <laughs> or just, you know, walking away at the same speed they're walking to you and firing at range. Oh boy. And you got another one. This is the Tunnel Warden? The Tunnel Warden is perhaps the most broken thing I've made. Wait, um, these weren't broken enough? <laughs> uh, this one, I should probably update its CR up to three and nerf the wording on it. What? The tunnel warden is bullshit. <laughs> uh, the tunnel warden is a druid stat block. I've given it a breastplate, so it has AC 16. Changed around some of the stats. Multi-attack. A longbow. Nothing special here. It's a third... It's a fourth level spellcaster. It's got... You know, your basic entangle, ensnaring strike, speak with animals, animal messenger. Nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Once per short rest, it can uh, choose itself and up to three allies to teleport up to a space that the warden can visualize, not see, that they can imagine within 150 feet of them. And until the end of the Warden's next turn, these creatures are invisible. Uh, The addendum I should make 
to make this balanced, invisibility on these creatures ends when they cast a spell or make an attack. Makes sense. And right. so, CR still goes up to three. So in other words, they have to hold their actions until they pop out to the other side. The teleport is immediate, I believe. Uh, the teleport is a bonus oh, action. Oh, wait. Wait, the teleport's a bonus. Oh, okay, because I thought because this is until. So they teleport and they're invisible. They teleport and they're invisible. So this is a very strong version of the. Uh, I think it's a rogue. Uh, class ability, where you automatically like, shout step away and then turn invisible. Was that rogue or is that a? That's a warlock ability. A warlock ability. That's a war. Oh yeah, it's a warlock um, ability. That is yeah. the archfey patron's sixth yep. level ability. Yeah. So, they, but they get this yep. at. But they get this at what fourth level? Uh, well, no. These are like. I mean, this is a fourth level spellcaster, but it's a, a half caster. So this is like. A seventh level, ranger. And they could just do it on a short. They could just do it on a bonus action. The other one has to, you have to do it on a reaction, reaction. after yeah. you've been hit. Yes, uh, I've, I've compared it to spells, and it's something like a seventh or eighth level spell. Oh dear God! Come on, man. <laughs> and, yeah, um, these guys you're gonna see like maybe five of them ever. Assuming we don't, like, go after them. Assuming you don't go after them. Oh, boy. Uh, but Which also there's, like... The will go specifically for them. But, like, there's probably no. also maybe only 20 of them that exist in the world, so... No, there's only there's only one group I'm going after, and I, he hasn't even really mentioned him, so... Yeah, no. On this grouping. I, I have and not they're, made They're not any. monsters, that's why, but... Well, or now there were any of those guys. Another, yeah, you're right. Uh, now, something you guys might be seeing <clears throat> that was part of your other character's backstory is uh, our next monster, the biomechanical horror. This creature has all sorts of alchemical items and artificer and magic items grafted into their flesh. Uh, wait, it has okay. a proficiency it has a proficiency in charisma saving throws plus one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really ugly. No, it's really ugly. Well, it's a horror. Hello. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Oh, it has a blade arm, so that's a lot like, oh, what was that character? Oh, never yeah. mind. Keep going. It uh, a whopping fifty-two hit points and seventeen armor. With the climbing speed, with a climbing speed of forty feet. What uh, was this originally? Or... Hmm. Say again, Bailey. Originally. I think it's said we're. I think yeah, he's cutting out. But I think it's said where was this originally like coming from? Uh, this one is completely new. There, this doesn't have a base stat block to it. Okay. And that's because mm. I wanted this 
mostly just I built it from existing magic items and other stuff. So an arm blade, that's an existing magic item. It has an arm blade. It uses it twice with a multi-attack. Does nine damage. Nothing special yet. Uh, the special things are, well, secrete poison because it has internal vat of poison filled with car uh, carrion crawler mucus. God damn it. <laughs> that it can secrete across its body. So for one minute, if you uh, touch it, hit it with an attack, or it hits you with a melee attack, DC 13 con save, or you're paralyzed for one minute. You can only remake your saving throw if you are no longer touching the horror. That comes into play because down in its bonus actions, it has what is modeled off of a rope of entanglement. It, lish, it lashes out with a, a black whipcord. One creature within 10 feet must make a DC 15 dexterity save or be grabbed. While they're grabbed, they can't run away, but they can still move closer if they want to. And I think this, I think the underlying thing here is uh, this also has some rogue features, just reflavored. So it has uncanny dodge. Yeah, I see that. Adaptive carapace. Yep. And because this was built off of Saber's backstory, his character had a thing that let his armor give him advantage on stealth, so this thing has advantage on stealth. Oh, this was the other character. That's not the one I'm playing now, though. That's not the character he's playing now. This no, is... this was the original character I was going to play. This, this was, was for Miko. Oh, boy. So ah. the scrapped character is going to make us hate our lives. God damn <laughs> Well, the scrapped character is not completely scrapped. The scrapped character is still in the is still going to be in his campaign, apparently. So uh, we might maybe. still see this. Uh, and the just the final nail in the coffin, if you cannot see the horror when it forces you to make a saving throw, you have disadvantage on the save. So that's like the... Um... And it has advantage in a plus 11 to stealth. Holy shit. Yeah. Can it stealth as a bonus action? No. Oh, that's good, at least. Um, no, it can't. No, it, yes, it can. It can hide. Oh, did I say it can hide as a bonus action? Yes, he, I... yes, you did. <laughs> uh, yes. So yes, yes, can. he can hide. He can hide as a bonus action, and he gets advantage on the roll. Yes. Yeah, this is when you just fireball without discretion. So this thing, pretty much. This thing, it's probably not going to kill you, but it's gonna, it's gonna come up through a sewer grate. Lash out with this whipcord, poison you. You're now grappled and paralyzed, and it runs away. So, wait a minute. Is he, is he going to sell us candy too? Like, what is this? Come of a storm drain? Is this guy, is this guy, uh, oh, what's his name from it? Yeah, it's, this is, uh, Pennywise? If, yeah, is this if Pennywise? Pennywise? <laughs> if Pennywise was a cyborg. <laughs> Oh my god. 
yeah, this thing is, but the the glorious thing is that uh, this thing is also part of Bailey's character's backstory too. Yeah. Oh, you're dealing with this, buddy. You're dealing with dealing with this, not me. <laughs> I'm yes. off the hook. Is that My character's really fucked up. This thing I decided <laughs> oh, to only too. challenge rating five because it it's not actually that good in a fight. It's only doing nine damage on a hit, hitting twice. So all of these are like focused down a single target, like like on all these all well, these submissions. Uh, like they're all it's like a battlefield controller. It's not a fighter. Yeah. Yes. Which. The battlefield controller is really freaking good. I, I, in my opinion, every party needs one. Um, the, well, the, thi the other thing is, it's a solo monster. It, it's antisocial, so okay, it doesn't have anyone to capitalize on that battlefield control. Gotcha. It's, yeah, battlefield control is very important. It's very important. Uh, in fact. I do you do you have a segue? <laughs> not into my stuff now, um, but in one of uh, I was last Saturday, literally just under a week ago. I saved. I explained to one of my in-person groups. I saved the entire party. We got ambushed by two adult black dragons <laughs> at level five. Uh, we, we saw some stirring in the water of big creatures, and I'm just like, you know what? Hypnotic pattern, one of them. And dear God, that was the only reason why we survived, because 11d8 damage yeah. from two breath weapons would not have been fun. I, that's... Hey. I'm reminded of the, uh, ancient blue dragon that your level one characters fight in Rise of Tiamat. Or sorry, it's uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen. <laughs> that one you only need to do like twenty damage and then it screws off. Well, yeah, but it also can make an attack hit you for thirty-five at level one, or just blow uh, their fire breath all over the party and kill them all. Yeah. Yeah. Horde of the Dragon Queen, uh, really well written. Yeah, that might be coming up uh, my group, but probably on a much, much later date, though. So we might try that one out for us, maybe. I shall say that book was not written by Wizards of the Coast, and it shows. Well, oh, really? It was written by Cobalt Press, I think, or uh, another one of those third-party presses. Cobalt Press, really? Hmm. Yeah, it also... Uh, at level four, I want to say, has your party fighting four assassins? Aren't those like CR six or seven or something? CR eight. Jesus. Uh, yeah. People have written fixes for some of the balance concerns in that book. You want a balance concern? You know the um, the other one shot I had that I wrote up for you guys that I was looking at this. I'm like, this is impossible. Is this for level two? You had to travel to a level uh, 15 area to go into this frozen dungeon in which there was a trap in there that basically instantly killed you even if you're at level 10. They wanted you to do this dungeon at level 2. 
I am reminded. I'm like, there's uh, no way. And then you got level three if you got, if you if you survived it, you got level three. I'm but... reminded of uh, in Tales from the Yawning Portal, there is a trap that gives you super tetanus. Super tetanus. That's what it's written as. <laughs> and it's a. Um, I want to say it's you make three saves or die. Oh wow! So it basically, goes straight to death saving throws. Basically. Yeah. Con saves, I'm assuming. Con saves, three con saves, fail and you die. I like oh, DC yeah. 15. Wow. Whew. You're listening to the Friday Night Dice podcast where we sit around talking about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll be right back after this short break. Speaking of things that work well in teams, slivers, I hear? Yeah. <laughs> Now, that's originally from Magic the Gathering. I remember playing those when I was younger. I did have a sliver deck, but then I found out that those are banned. You're not allowed to play sliver decks. So. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes, sliver decks are officially banned by uh, Magic the Gathering in tournaments. It's been like that forever. (laughs) So for those of you who don't play Magic the Gathering, what slivers are is they are a type of creature where if one of them has an ability, it grants every other sliver that's on the on your side of the battlefield that ability. So yep. for uh, there was an ability called Double Strike, where essentially every time you attack, you hit twice. If one of your slivers had that, everyone had that. If one of your split slivers could fly, every sliver could fly. It was ridiculous. But the problem and, was, but, sorry, the problem was is that that you had to have at least three, it had to be at least a three-color deck in order for it to work. Like, you could have some artifacts like that mixed into it to cr- generate the other two colors that you didn't have. So at minimum, it had to be a three-color deck. It was technically a five-color deck, which is nearly impossible to try to get all the mana down unless you had specific land that could do multiple different colors of mana. Right. And that's in order to get, like, the queen out and stuff like that. Because all these slivers only cost, like, two or three mana to get out each. Uh, Specifically, the strong ones were white. The white was strong. Uh, Blue was the flying, so that was kind of strong. And I want to say red... Or green was like the other one. I don't remember too many other strong ones. But red gave double strike. Um, First strike gave haste. Black, black gave them undead, so you could bring them back immediately. And also, uh, black also believe gave them poison. So if they hit any creature on the field, they automatically killed them, no matter how much damage they dealt. I believe that was black as well. Pretty sure that was actually green. Or was that I, green? I, I, I can't. Oh, green, I, I, green and black kind of like they did something similarly. So right. But um, going back to D and found this homebrew online that I absolutely love. I love the slippers and I love how they interacted in Magic the Gathering, but it was hard to make it work. Here in D and um, with this homebrewery. And if you want to look it up for yourself, you just put um, sliver homebrew and it's like the first or second thing that'll pop up. 
and how these guys work, it's very similar. Um, officially, it is they have a 30-foot aura and any other slippers, or in this case, shrills, who are within that area also got whatever ability that they gave. Um, in my experience, DMing these things, when you have multiple different abilities in one combat, it's kind of hard to keep track of the 30 feet for each one, so I just say, this combat, everything has this until this guy dies, this guy dies, this guy dies. Right? Once something is pulled off the table, then its abilities get erased from the table. Yep. And that's um, kind of how it works for Magic the Gathering as well, so... Right. Because it is an so, ongoing ability, it's not a uh, an activated ability. Thing. So once that ongoing ability is field, like you're saying for D&D, this would work the same exact way. Exactly. So we'll start with the bare basic and how this... Uh, whoever, the author of this home brewery kind of wrote it into the wrote it into his lore for these creatures we'll start with uh, that would be daniel north and then north the north <laughs> I think so yes apparently so if you go to page five we have the shrill brood line and this is it's not the most basic there are a couple others that are more basic than this guy but this guy creates the lore for the slippers how they get all these abilities is with the engulfing charge. And what that ability does is it you need a 20-foot running start, and it'll try to engulf a creature. They need to make a dexterity saving throw. If they fail, then it wraps around the creature and basically comes a crisp becomes a chrysalid until the creature either breaks out, somebody breaks it, breaks the creature out, or the shrill broodling dies. If the shrill broodling reduces the creature inside to zero, then he gets a random mutation to any other shrill that there is. Um, personally, how I would do it is like, oh, if it's a soldier, they have like a really high armor class, make it an armor sliver. If it's something that has... Um, that, that has a lot of acid, like that's their thing, like a gelatinous cube, for example, make it an acid slip, etc. But officially, as it is written here, it's a random mutation. Um, and then we'll go into some of the simpler mutations, if you want to go to page 8. So here we have the acid shrill and the armor shrill. The acid shrill, its aura is... Oh, they get if they're they get an acid attack. Not that big of a deal. Every shrill has an acid attack, which does make them more powerful because now instead of just running at you, because every other sliver or, or shrill rather for the most part is melee only. Now they can shoot at you. The armor shrill gives them resistance to non-magical bullets and piercing and slashing damage. Not too too. I mean, the resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashage is big, but it's not over the top. If that makes sense. But you can see where this starts adding up, people. Oh, yeah. Um, he also, I believe at the very end of this document, gives suggestions on how to balance it if you have multiple different auras in one combat. 
now let me see if I can find it in a second. Yeah, kind of the running theme here is monsters that turn action economy into exponential power. Oh, yeah. But like those, the assets and the armor are also some of the most basic. If you want to go to page 30, the spectral shrill, when we start getting to these like CR3 creatures, it starts to get ridiculous. The spectral shell gives all other shrills within the safety foot aura. Uh, you have disadvantage to hit them with attack rolls. Period. And this thing isn't isn't like a little shitter either. It has 18 armor class and 91 hit points. So this thing is going to stay around for a while. And if you and if you include this with like something like an armor shrill, which makes them um, uh, more resilient to non-magical weapons, and of course, in and of itself, gives disadvantage to attack rolls. Even with the ninety-one hit points, the ninety-one hit points becomes a lot bigger. <laughs> also, hitting an armor class eighteen at disadvantage—that's not easy to hit. I mean, it's not yeah. easy to hit. And this thing is going to stay around for a while. And the crazy thing is, a lot of the ones you've mentioned already have only been challenge rating once. But yes. that challenge rating is, it's one of those monsters or groups that you challenge, that challenge rating is deceiving because, again, you get two different challenge rating ones, but their, their powers combine and overlap. So they actually become more of a challenge rating two and a half, two, and then it grows depending on how many more you have added in. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, these these creatures, the like the first two, they're CR one base. I would say there's a CR one. Once you start throwing other things in there, it increases potentially ten plus fold. It gets it can get it can get really ridiculous really fast. So that's that's one the one specifically that can make things really bad. Um, my one of my yeah. favorites. Let me pull up the page. If you want to go to page 15. This is one of my favorites because of how it works. Did, did, did I explain this one to you already? Yes, I know this so, one. The Dementia Shrill, <laughs> which it very much earns its name. Its aura is, oh, what I hit you or the other shrills around me hit you. You have to make a wisdom saving throw or forget a spell for your 24 hours until you can re-prepare it. Just straight up forgetting one of your prepared spells. If you don't have any spells, or don't have any spells left, rather, uh, you just forget a language for like D4 hours or, or an hour or something like that. It very much earns its name. And on top of it, has, on top of that, it has some casting, so it's got... Increase it by less. These auras work really well together. Um, and then, so th those are those are a couple of the higher level 
shrills like and make things ridiculous. Then we have the bosses, essentially. We want to go to page 33. So we got all those other guys. They're the shitters. Every single one of them. These big guys, that's what you need to work, look out for. So this is one of them, the Shrill Hive Lord. And the this is, I think, the weaker of the three different big guys. The Hive Lord, its aura, essentially, is anytime the, the Shrill is attacked, targeted by a melee weapon attack, ranged weapon attack, magic missile spell, or a spell that requires a ranged attack roll, roll a d12 on a Roll of one to three, so one fourth chance, twenty five percent chance. The shrill is unaffected. Period. Even if it's magic missile. Even if it's magic missile. Yeah, this thing is tough. Um, and then it also has an ability when the shrill is reduced to zero hit points, but not killed outright, it drops to one hit point instead. So it's gotten the half-orc ability. Because, fuck you, that's why. But here's the thing. That reactor carapace, all the shrills have that. Yes. Not just this one. They all have that immunity. <laughs> oh, yeah. And now on top of that, he has the... He has multi-attack to make two talent attacks each turn with an average of 20 damage each. So about 60 damage... Or, no, 40 damage. We have the Invigorate Hive, which is a recharge five or six. Each shrill within 30 feet and already invigorated gains advantage on attack rolls until the start of the Shrill Hive Lord's next turn. So he gives advantage to everybody for one round, just replacing his action. Now, the, the Invigorate Hive, that's only for that particular one. That's, that one's not shared, though, correct? Uh, well, that one is... No, that one's not shared. The only thing that's shared from this guy, and you can see under the Hive Lord... Uh, sorry, Hive Lord... Hive Aura. All of Friendly Shrill within 60 feet gained the Hive Endurance trait. Which the Hive Endurance trait was the reduced to one. Then the Hive Lord itself has the Reactive Carapace. Then for actions, the Hive Lord can do the Invigorate Hive, which gives all Shrills with, within 30 feet the advantage on all their attack rolls. Just replacing two of his talent attacks, which, depending on how many slivers there are, is very, very worth it. Do you want to ask this question, Sean, or you want me to? Go for it. Are we going to see these in the current campaign? No. Thank God. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was actually... Was that, where you, throwing... was that what you were thinking, Sean? No, I knew he wasn't going to pull these because he messaged saying that he was he wasn't going to show off any of the homebrew monsters he was using in our game. Wait, uh, uh, no, timeout. He is showing off a homebrew monster in our current campaign, and we've seen it multiple times. Don't say that. I'm not showing it off tonight. What are you talking about? I haven't given you access to the that block. Have I? To the uh the blood the uh. The blood construct things that we've been fighting? Yeah. You showed what it about? to us. Did I? Yeah. Yeah, first after the first night. Hmm. 
You have leaked your secrets. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I might I may take some things from these guys, but definitely not the like aura stuff. No, that that that's for these guys. In fact, what I, I was planning on throwing these guys at you was that way back when when I was doing when I was uh, gonna do the level twenty uh, one shot or well, it was probably gonna be yeah. multiple sessions, but one shot. You know, back in the good old what was that April of twenty twenty? Yeah, before everything went to shit. <laughs> no, that was back in twenty nineteen. Because we got into a group before the pandemic sunk in in no, no, no. Uh, February. No, Our group didn't start until November 2019. Yeah. Right. So we got. No, we got it, we, was, it was the spring of 2020 because NT was the current DM. Right. Okay. I thought you were talking about the first first. No, no. Not the second for... first. This is for a twentieth level one shot. Oh, oh, oh! Was I there for yeah. that one? It never happened. It oh. never happened. No, I was thinking happened. about okay. it, and then stuff went to crap. Oh, as well as trying oh, to balance oh, these things right. on level twenty. Very volatile. <laughs> yeah, I think I was gonna build like a a bard archer, a bard eldritch knight archer. That just cast all the spells to put like you know all the dice on a single bow shot <laughs> oh i think uh, you have a similar character it's a global character in our which we'll call it arena yeah. oh but uh yeah so what other so what other big ones you have so that's the shrill high board if you want to go to the let's see page 37. Oh god, the Overlord. So, the Overlord is the second place when we come to when it comes to like the top 3. Drill Overlord pretty nasty. Um it's got a multiple heads thing going on, uh kind of like a Hydra. Um, it has four heads. While it has more than one head, it has advantage on saving throws against being blinded, charmed, deafened, frightened, stunned, and knocked unconscious. Whenever it takes 25 or more damage in a single turn, one of its heads dies. If all of its heads die, then the shrill dies. At the end of its turn, it, re it grows one head for each of the heads that died since last turn. So it doesn't grow additional, but it will replace the ones that have died. Um, and regains 10 hit points for each head regrown this way. How many heads does it have? Four. So you'd have to kill at least three of the heads in a turn. At least. In two back-to-back -back turns. Um, well, if you, it, it only one of the heads dies only if it takes 25 or more damage in a single turn. So you at least need... If you have a four-person party, you need everybody, in order to kill this in one turn... To do 25 damage. Each. Each. Oh. Doesn't matter how many attacks each person has. It's in a turn. Oh. Exactly. So even yeah. even with Ryan doing like double 25 or double 30s, it doesn't matter. It only gets one head. Correct. Correct. Yes. Oh, man. So haste. So, so stuff like haste. This, this kind of gets around actions like haste. 
I, I think our party actually could probably round one kill this. Yeah. I so. Yeah, Tolf, I mean, if Tolv is, is in range, yeah. If Tolv... Like, I think my... I think Harley and Adrian are the ones that would be the most concerned there. Um, if Adrian definitely could with sneak attack. I would be concerned with Harley. Uh, Harley would be the one to be worried about. I mean, compounding, she might be able to with... Well, because Harley can... Harley can bust out like a... Throw a sixth level fireball at it. Right, but if it succeeds, then. Yeah, I think it's more that she has to, like, twin cast a single tar Twin, twin cast, up cast a single target spell. Actually, what she could do is bonus action Hexblade's Curse it, Magic yeah. Missile. Oh, true. At max, at max casting. Yeah, because then it's just going to deal, you know, four, a d4 plus four damage for every missile. A d4 plus five, I think. Plus five. Ah, plus five, you yeah. Because you get the one magic missile and the four. So yeah, at least for a cat. Yeah. So how many 1d4s is that? Well, throw a fifth level spell slot on that, and it's 74 plus 35. 74 plus 35? Yep. Oops. Um, well, I mean, that is... Let's see. Let's go to our demo field again here. <laughs> uh, that's an average of 52 and a half. Hmm, not bad. With a minimum minimum of 42, by the way. So it doesn't matter. The minimum of 42. That's over the threshold. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I... What is the first level? No, it's just four plus. Yeah, yeah. Just a second level spell slot is four die four plus twenty. So as long as it's not four ones, right? So I would upcast it just one more slot, just in case, just to guarantee it. You yeah. Know. So yes. Um, Adrian is the only one who doesn't really have a... Well, I guess... You have well, a really good sneak attack, dude. And, and, and if you don't move, you still got that steady aim thing, which will give you the give you the advantage that you need. I have, so. I have rolled very low sneak attack dice, though. Every, anything's incumbent on the fact that if you hit or miss, or they save her anyways. Yeah. Imagine missile is just one of those things. But here's the thing. If you go back to the previous one that... Bailey just talked about, which gives you partial immunity to the magic missile. Not even that might work if both of these are in together. Oh god, combining two shrill bosses together, that's that's It could happen in a hive. Oh yeah. It could happen. Uh, Still mean. You, you you've seen my DMing. I can, I can definitely be mean. You've seen my kobolds. I've seen your kobolds. <laughs> I mean, I've also taken two damage from a, from a trap that did twenty eight. So we don't talk about that. We only talk about the good parts. <laughs> um, the other things that the Shrill Overlord has, it's got 
since it has multiple heads, it has multiple reactions, not a big deal. It has some spell casting, like dominate person, hold person, mass suggestion. Um, it has that's a, that's a, a lot of wisdom saves. Yep. Has a special action called Call the Hive. Uh, once per day, it can telepathically call ten of those shrill broodlings, which were the things that could uh, engulf you. Ten of those is a lot to chew through. Or it can call four shrill soldiers, which are tougher, but they don't have that special ability. Two of the evolved shrills, which could be anything from the acid shrill to the dementia shrill, given us CR one through four. Wait, did you say dementia shrill? Did you throw dementia spirit shrill? Was it that gives them disadvantage? uh, Disadvantage to hit them. Yeah, spectral. Spectral. And this benefits from it. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, that's the thing. All the underlings will give them the powers of themselves. So this thing could be winged. It could be, like, on all those heads with all those damage, it could give poison. You know, throw one spectral shrill with this shrill overlord, and uh, Adrian suddenly isn't doing much, because disadvantage and sneak attack? Uh, Nope. Yeah. That's another thing that I really liked about these shrills. I ran them uh, quite a few different times, um, although this was in a homebrew setting, so that's different. But what I really liked that I had to, that the players had to do was they had to figure out which one was giving which ability, and they had like different pictures, so they were able to figure out like after trial and error, oh, this is giving this ability. Which abilities were the most detrimental to them? focus them down and then get rid of everything else. So like they went up against the spectral trill and once they saw that they were like, oh yeah, uh this thing needs to die <laughs> before everything else. Um so this is Shrill Overlord. And then we got a Shrill Queen. And this this one's the big one. Uh, if you want to go to page 39. Shrill Queen. Uh, her aura is... The Queen of Mean. That's where, that's where her aura is. <laughs> Sorry, no, she doesn't give out an aura. Um, instead, she has high uh, regeneration. The Shrill gains 10 hit points at the start of its turn as long as there is at least one other Shrill within 60 feet. Cool. If there are no Shrill within range, the straight doesn't function at the start of its shrill, of the Shrill's next turn. The Shrill only dies if it starts its turn with zero hit points and does not regenerate. So she will come back from the dead to fuck you up if something is nearby. So it's a super powerful troll, except instead of fire or acid, you gotta kill all the minions. Yep. This thing is the last thing to die in the entire hive. Um, and it's got the hive tactics. Basically, pack tactics, except it's specified to shrills. Um, it has a bonus action, 
spawn drones as a bonus action. Oh, a recharge of five or six. As a bonus action, the Shrill can create four of the Shrill drones. The drones appear in an unoccupied space within 10 feet of the creator and act as an ally of the creator. Meaning, this thing can create four basically free, because I don't think uh, it doesn't have any other bonus actions every third turn-ish. Things that can help it regenerate and help it not die. Yeah, these spawn drones are pretty much like the artifact uh, sliver. Which are basically just one, one, one colorless mana. So that's basically what, what these are. Right. They don't have very high AC. I think they're in fact, their CR is 1-4, but it's yeah. giving this thing survivability, considering if they live, this lives. Um, Shrill Queen also has a similar form of the Engulfing Charge as one of its actions. Although it's much harder to break out, you need a DC 21 <laughs> strength check. Goodbye, wizard. <laughs> wizard ain't surviving that. Nope. 21 Definitely. strength check on a wizard? Nope. <laughs> and if it produces something to zero hit points as a reaction, it can create 1d6 or on average three of those shrill broodlings. So even more spawning. Because why not? Um, and as one of its legendary actions, it can also spawn more stuff. It has five legendary actions, or like le legendary action points, rather. It can use one for each of the movement or the talon. For two, it can create, uh, uh, it can spawn a Harbringer. It does 4d12 necrotic damage to itself, and then it spawns a Harbringer from the wound. Uh, Harbringer is just like a slightly bigger broodling, uh, has the same abilities, just more hit points, better HP. Or Harbinger. <laughs> yep. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I've always called it Harbringer. Depending on which, so, which country you're from, I'm just saying. <laughs> so what you're going to do is you're going to reduce this thing to zero hit points, and then you're going to have the wizard cast banishment so that it's not within any kind of range of any shrill. If she hasn't eaten them yet. <laughs> True. That is, that is definitely a thing that you can do. Um, can you banish a corpse, though? Well, it's not a corpse if it's not dead. Fair enough. I'm not dead. <laughs> Bring out your dead. Um, and I mean, if it was a corpse, just cast one of those other spells, like Demiplane. <laughs> Fair enough. And also, Hive Control, the Shrill can choose 1d8 Shrill that are within 30 feet. Chosen Shrill can move up to half the movement speed to make one and make one talent. So, wow. So, reaction, five Shrill can make a swipe attack. Not even a reaction. Legendary action. Legendary action, yeah. Well, reaction from the Shrill? That are being commanded? No, it doesn't even cost their reaction. Oh. It's her legendary action to get 1d8 on average, 4, we'll say. 4 or 5. So she, um, she, she can read these drones, and then on a legendary action after a player's turn, can make those all those drones do an additional attack as the a legendary action for each of themselves. Yes. 
on a, off, can, on a halfway through halfway through the turn order. Yes. And Some of these things definitely need a little bit more balancing, in my opinion. Like I would not consider this a challenge sixteen, but the idea is there, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> well, that's better than I would rather spend the three actions and have multiples do a swipe action than just her doing one single one. I mean, yeah, hers does a lot more. It's three d ten plus eight slashing damage. You also have to consider two hit bonuses. But that's true, especially yeah, in a group like bonus. ours. It, well, here's a. Here's a point about making homebrew monsters. Know your group. In in our group, average armor class is 20. Which in is freaking insane. In the in my Monday group, average armor class is like 14. At what level? We're, we're level 3. Okay. I mean, granted, my my wizard with AC twelve is bringing that down, but right. So yeah, if if you're throwing something this high level at a party like ours that has average armor class of twenty, um, yeah, five attacks with a plus four might not be that might not be better than one attack with a plus ten. But also keep in mind that those extra attacks would have an extra chance of causing acid or poison or burning or something other other on top of that, but depending on what other things are in the room. Or forgetting so, a spell. <laughs> or forgetting a spell. You could yeah, imagine four of these things, each attacking your person, they forget four spells. I mean if you're a sorcerer, that's like all the spells you know. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. if you're a warlock. Get hit four times. Oh no. I've lost all of my first all my spells. spells. The spells that you um, prepare, not your spell slots. Right. Yeah. And, but still, but I a, mean. A warlock only knows 15 spells. Exactly. At level 20. So, yeah, so right. you lose like a fifth of your spells. At level 20, yeah. At yeah. level 20 from four attacks. Yeah, there's the twenty. There's level twenty balancing for you. These things work very well in groups. Just, just a game. Yeah, and that's only is that one legendary action or? It costs two. Uh, as uh, for which two. one, the hive control one. Okay. The hive control one, which does the multiple attacks for multiple little ones, that costs three. Yes. That has okay. Five. That. Out of a five that she has. So she can still summon a Harbinger on her turn as well, sacrificing her own HP like a blood blood hunter. <laughs> um, another thing that I really like about this document here, if you wanted to go to page 56. The end? <laughs> this, yeah, pretty much the end. It gives all of the different auras that each of the shrills give, which I really like. So you got the acid shrill, um gives all of their friendly shrills within 60 feet in the acid spit attack. The we'll go to constricting shrill, all of their friendly shrills within 60 feet in the constrict action attack. Okay, I'm picking ones that don't give any context. Great. <laughs> um, but it gives it 
you're able to figure out like, oh, which ones do I want to throw in this combat pretty quickly, uh, assuming that you're using these shrills and just find what ability you like and then go to that page or around that area and find it. I don't. One thing I do want to question though is that it says like, for instance, uh, dark heart shrill, learn hive offering. There's no hive offering listed on this thing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them like the end don't really give any context, but other ones like say the muscle shrill, all of the yeah. friendly shrills seem to be gain plus one to their attack and damage plus one to AC. Like, some of them give that actual context, other ones don't, which is slightly annoying, but I think it's... And it's stackable five times? Yes, so you can have five muscle shrills and just say, fuck you to your party. Yeah, that's well, the, that's the red, that's the red magic uh, shrill that, that I was mentioning. That's the one, yeah. that's why you, that's why you use uh, the red mana. Well, and that's very important when your party has an armor uh, class average of 20. Because otherwise, all those little spawnlings aren't hitting anything. That is true. But with a plus five, I wouldn't want to fight these things. And they're harder to hit. So you got plus five armor. You're hitting them 25% less. <laughs> well, assuming you don't. Accuracy. <laughs> well, if you're rolling one die. <laughs> if you're rolling one die, which. Oh god, throw that on with uh, the Spectral Shrill, and now it's disadvantage. But, here, here's that. The, but here's the interesting thing, like the Reflex Shrill? Say you want to throw Fireball just to get rid of a bunch of them? Well, if the Reflex Shrill out there, they have advantage on that saving throw. Yep. And... Imagine trying to hit a Spectral Shrill. It has armor class 18, but it has five Muscle Shrills with it. So now it has armor class 23, and you have disadvantage to hit it. Mm -hmm. The Spectral had 18. 18 or, no. plus yeah, 18. 5. Yeah. Well, plus 5 well, on top of that. At, they said 15 at first, but even if you no, said 15, eight, the calculation eight, is correct. 18 plus 15 plus 5 is 23. Um, that's, nearly, that's nearly the armor class of the Tarask. <laughs> Another thing... Um, that, that reflex drill that you pointed out, that also gives, in addition to the the advantage on dexterity saving throws, it gives them additional action. It basically gives every shrill within 60 feet haste. Besides the AC bonus. <laughs> oh, Sean's like, nope, nope. <laughs> Let's see what CR that one is. I want to do that. <laughs> what page knowledge. is that? What page? Oh, we need to look at that one. So you're telling me? Yes. That the Shrill Queen now has haste. Yes. That is page twenty-eight. This is a CR three. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah. Once no again, way. a lot of these, in my opinion, need balancing. Maybe by itself, it's a CR three. Um, it can give. Well, it automatically has two attacks, which do, by the way, which do two d eight plus two damage. 
That actually sounds about right. And it can also teleport magically. By the way, this particular one can teleport magically along with any equipment it's wearing up to 40 feet to an unoccupied <laughs> stage before, before or after teleporting. The shrill can make one talent attack, so it can make the attack when it teleports, and it can do this four to six times. Actually, that sounds about right for a CR3. By itself. By itself. Sex makes two attacks. Because it can is, teleport attack and then have an additional attack after that. Right. The thing is, I, and I think this is some, the theme of the night, normally action economy scales exponentially, or maybe it scales quadratically. Uh, with these things, it scales exponentially. <laughs> Same thing with the monsters I've shown. When every creature on the field has a resurrect that it can throw to its ally, suddenly the action economy is stacked way against the players. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when everything has pack tactics, action, and everything has multi-attack, that action economy scales a lot faster. So, be warned of action economy. It scales challenge faster than you think it does. Mm -hmm. Which is why a lot of big creatures have those legendary actions, is to kind of take back some of the action economy. Um, but for those of you at home making your own monsters, if you're new to homebrewing monsters, what I would highly suggest is doing what Sean did, take stat blocks and modify them. Yep. Once you start learning the balance of a well, I want to say balance of CR because CR is absolute garbage when it comes to balance. Uh, yeah. Well, there's there's rules to it. They just don't always follow the rules. Yeah. Rules are made well, to be broken. <laughs> Once you start figuring out the balance of your group, how about that? How to balance your fights, how to balance out the fights against your group specifically, then you can start messing with like actually making home fully homebrew monsters. That's the thing. Like you I have to know your group. Like because in our group, they're we're optimizers for the most part, especially Leo. Where so even though we're you're fighting maybe characters are level eight, they're actually more like level ten or level eleven characters that you're fighting against as a DM. Versus like my group, like I'm going to be starting a new uh, live group. Most of them are brand new. Like they're all pretty much brand new to D and D. Like, one of them, I think, was going to be doing a, um, uh, they're doing a ranger that has very high charisma and low constitution. Or a druid. No, it was a druid. It was a druid with high charisma and low constitution. Why? That's just what they want to play. They want a high charisma that will charm the pants off you or intimidate the pants off you. One or the other. <laughs> That's what they want to play as. They're not I'm optimizer. Actually, they're just playing as the character they want to play with. So, I, and, and then combat situation when we have these monsters, you have to take into account that these people want to play for the story, the build of the character, not the combat for that. That's why. I would suggest in that vein, tracking how, doing combats that you're almost definitely sure that your party will survive and beat. 
in tracking how much damage each person is doing each round and whether they're expending resources to do that. That way, you can spend a day taking your encounter designs, calculating the average damage that they're doing to the party, the average damage the party is doing to them, and which side is winning on average. Do that until you can look at something and guess correctly how the encounter is going to go. Because once you've got there, you can start pushing the limits real hard. Like, uh, say, I don't know, throwing an avatar of Groomsh that can crit on an 18, 19, or a 20 and has three attacks. Yeah, I, and if it crits, I it does additional damage on top of the crit damage. I regretted that fight. I should have let Leo have an open turn that fight. Because I forgot that he was going to be in my position where he was going to get 90 damage done to his face before he could do anything. <laughs> um, so I should have had him do an open turn as a surprise round for just him before everything else happened. So I learned that's I, I you learn, you learn as you grow. So um, go ahead. Uh, so Sabres. Do you have any questions for us about making monsters? Since I, as I don't know how many homebrew monsters you've made, I haven't made any. Um, all, all my monsters I've ever, I've played in my two one shots came from the compendium or from the book that it came with. But I do agree that take a stat block from one or two monsters and make a baby out of it for like a better turn. Uh, that's pretty much what you know, like like what uh, Sean Sean did for them is like he took like a thug, and he took a thug, took a thug or... and they kind of reworked it into a different representing party and took that representation of that particular clan or group or whatever and built that into that particular one, creating a brand new resource of a monster or a NPC or whatever. So. Um, but yeah, that's a great idea, and that or just pull inspiration from other places like Bailey did, where the where the slivers are shrill, branded so it doesn't cooperate on copyright rights. There, <laughs> shrills, <laughs> but technically, yeah, they're slivers. We'll just throw it out there; they are in fact slivers from Magic the Gathering. So, it's still Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> it yeah, it's all the same brand technically. But the but um, where it's coming from is where it matters. <laughs> if you do start uh, homebrewing monsters as well, you don't. Once you start actually homebrewing and making your own monsters, you don't always have to make your own monsters. Like if you look at the campaign that I'm running, um, there's the undead werebear, literally just reskinned werebear with a couple of stat changes. The uh, undead umber hulk. Just a couple of stat changes. Like I think I increased its HP, decreased its AC, maybe a couple of. Uh, I think it, I decreased its charisma, maybe increased its strength, etc. But for the most part, it's just an Umber Hulk. Um, you don't always have to go the whole extra mile, make something completely different. 
even yeah. just a slight little change to something makes it very unique. It makes it very unique, and it's also like 10 times faster. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Because I always, whenever I'm building a stat block uh, from the ground up, I'm always like, okay. I have no idea what I want any of these ability scores to be. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, it's a wizard, so intelligence is a 20, I guess. But what is its charisma? I don't know. Roll 46. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what's what's the proficiency bonus? What, what challenge rating am I shooting for? I don't know. I'm just gonna workshop the numbers until they feel right, and it's so much easier to do that when I know that these numbers over here that I've already got are CR twelve. And if you go into a combat with a homebrew monster, and it turns out that it's way tougher than what you expected. Modify the stats on the fly. Decrease its health by 20. Decrease its health by a third. Even half of it's that much. As Matt Koval says, game design doesn't stop when initiative starts. <laughs> no, you have to constantly evolve, whether it's combat you're in, whether the story you're telling. Especially as the GM, oh. you have to constantly evolve what that, your players that, are doing. That tunnel warden... Those changes that I suggested to its ability, I made on the fly as we were playtesting it because I realized in the moment, oh no, uh, I'm going to TPK these people in one round when this paladin comes in invisible and gets a, an, a, an advantage smite. Oops. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a difference between what you write and what you intend as well. Um... But if you want to make if you want to make a creature, or maybe even like a one time not like a one time monster, but something that want, that you really want to stand out, like the nemesises of each of the players that I homebrewed. You guys remember those guys? Curium, Voltholm. I ah, forget the rest. Yeah, but y you know what I'm talking about. Um, come up with a, like one or two really interesting abilities and kind of build the character around that. Um, I once built a character that I based off of uh, Jace Berlin, also from Magic the Gathering, who's a very powerful magic user. Um, he, in addition to... Kind yeah, the of Blue like, Mage champion, basically. <laughs> right. In addition to, like, illusions and whatnot, he was very adept with uh, magic cancellation, basically counter spells and whatnot. Um, but I really wanted to to stand out a little bit more and increase the and in one fell swoop increase the what's what we call it actually calling out my side. I gave him ability what I what I called counter spell mastery, and I I didn't build it in roll twenty. I should have. Now I'm thinking about it, the character in roll twenty, but the counter spell mastery ability that I had for him. Anytime he used Counterspell, he not only countered the spell, he took control of it. So the opening fireball that the party used, it, used, yeah, it blew up on them. <laughs> so 
just pull a couple uh, or think of a, a ability like a standout ability that you want to kind of build the character or not the character the creature around that Let me get uh, on has his re- resurrection ability for the purple knights dragon knights yeah dragon. purple dragon knights <laughs> they are not purple dragon knights but the dragon on their emblem does happen to be purple yes but they are not purple dragon knights for copyright reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Are, you, are, we call, are we calling it there? Uh, anything else to add? There, there's one thing I would add. Okay. Don't be afraid to admit to your players that you made a mistake. I once threw a monster. Every time it got, it took damage from an attack it healed 2d8. Whoa. Oh. Oh. Yeah, which was fine, uh, except that the party had a monk. The monk was making four attacks, and none of those were dealing more than it was healing from those attacks. Ooh. Yeah, okay. So that was a mistake. (laughs) I... It was... It was a fine design, but it was wrong for that party. <laughs> Maybe later on. Maybe no. Wasn't even was... then. No, these guys were like level five, I think. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh sounds... man. Yeah, the only reason they won that fight is because they had an assassin rogue, and I let him crit every round. <laughs> and I oh. basically just admitted, "Yeah, this is a mistake." You. The monk died too in that combat. I'm like, you know what? No, you get a you get a freebie. You get to come back to life. The gods feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> the GM gods. To be feel honest, bad. after after the monk died, the the rest of the party was more successful in that fight. <laughs> You're not wrong because the monk was healing it every round by attacking it. But that doesn't. That doesn't make it better. No, it doesn't. Uh, oh, that's a good idea for the only reason, idea for monster. I think I just thought of one. The only reason I didn't feel too bad is because the guy playing the monk was kind of a not a great person. I'm gonna write this one down. I just thought of a good idea for a monster. <laughs> well, what is it? You got to tell us now. I'm gonna save it for another monk. podcast. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> or am I save it for my campaign? <laughs> Who knows? Ooh. In like the year or two that it's going to take to finish mine and Sean's. Well, actually, <laughs> my campaign might become a sooner than I think because I might be with my live group. So, uh, so I got to build that shit out soon. <laughs> now, that, that timeline went from about two and a half years to um, about six months. <laughs> really quick. <laughs> six months is still pretty far out. That's if six months. Like, I don't know. It could be like three months from now for all I know. <laughs> I'm hoping for six. <laughs> but no, I'd be nice to play some live. The last time I ever played live D&D, Jeremy Crawford, 2012 at PAX. That was the last time I ever played live in person D&D. <laughs> Jeremy Crawford was my DM for like an hour and a half. <laughs> so, Last time I played in person was with a group of 20. Holy oh, smokes. 
Uh, uh, were you yeah. broken up into smaller groups, or was it actually 20 people? Well, not everyone showed up. Okay. So it was really more like a group of 12. Still. Still, that's uh, quite big. I mean, that's yeah, like so you take I've... a turn every, like, 35 minutes or so. Oh, yeah, no, it, what, oh, we it do was that anyway, one dude. combat that lasted, I think, three months. <sighs> yeah, I was the dungeon master for that. You were the DM? Yeah. How do you keep, how do you keep the initiative, well, initiative is or you just keep next, okay, well, next, okay. next. I, I grabbed a, <laughs> I've got a sand timer. I put it down and said, return. Oh, like that's actually not a bad idea in that situation. Yeah, not not great normally, but uh, when you've got 12 people, that's the only way it's going to happen. If you have one or two people specifically that are having that are taking too long, and they're not like new players. Like, new players get a pass, in my opinion. But, like, the stereotypical wizard that will throw their entire spell book and then casts Firebolt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great every single turn yeah i actually well, had somebody do that throughout an entire combat and i wanted to strangle him i i felt it was okay for my players in that combat to take a while because uh that combat was against uh the most brutal homebrew monster i've ever made well against 12 players i would expect so um uh every attack well First of all, it could cast Shatter at ninth level at will. Yep. Using will. its legendary actions. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> um, it also, once it got to its second phase, it rolled a d4 and multiplied all of the damage for the round by that number. That it dealt, I'm assuming. Yes. So it, and it had you know multi attack two attacks four die ten plus ten. You know, it's casually multiplying that by four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think um, one of the players at the time was uh, an, an ancient brass dragon and got reduced to zero hit points in one round. What? Like true polymorph or something? Yeah. And. Yeah, because it was also casting at the same time a Storm of Vengeance. Wait, not only did you play a 12-person campaign, you played a high enough level to ninth level spell slots? Are you a goddamn madman? <laughs> yes, I am. I, Season I, 3, everybody. <laughs> and I created the CR 47 monster that was required to take him down. 47? I think. I don't know. It was doing thousands of damage around. How? Quick question. How do you add extra hours onto the clock every day? <laughs> uh, it's well, a 25 it's, hour day, everybody. Oh, the best part is I was I was in high school at the time. Jesus. The, time the does not exist question, when you're in high school. The answer to your question, Bailey... Uh, I made a deal with Asmodeus. <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> that was just it. Yeah. We just, How we just. 
I I will never TM for more than five players ever again because of that. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, this this whole podcast, we're going to replace these or any game days that we don't have. We're going to replace it with these podcasts because this is the stuff you don't hear uh, after our sessions are over when I cut the reel on our on our sessions. This is the stuff you guys miss, especially with this three, especially with the three of us, because Leo cuts out usually before we even in the stream. We're missing Paul tonight because Paul's not he's not the reason why we're not doing it, but. Paul, Paul wasn't going to be able to make the campaign, and we're kind of in the middle of a combat situation, pretty much ongoing combat. I'm going to say Bailey, right? Eh, not quite. Okay. Yeah, we have th we're surrounded by two or three rooms we haven't even looked into yet. Oh, wait, no, we looked in one. Never mind. We looked in the one room where the guy ran out of. Um, but this, well, we're going to try to do the after-show shenanigans as a podcast to fill the weeks that we don't play so so this or with or with one shots if we don't have the time or the one shots if we don't have the time to build or we don't have the content to build but we still have i got plenty of ideas we could do so um but yeah any any closing comments before we get off about uh, creating monsters or making our players cry in future campaigns that we have not gotten into yet uh Stick to one gimmick. Perfection, I would say. Yeah, stick to one gimmick per per thing. Because when you have a monster with five gimmicks, no one's having fun. Oh, that's your talking. Okay. Yeah. And that's right. You guys had the. Um perfect demonstration of that analogy of like you having individual factions bailey had a humongous list of but list of things but it was still one faction their gimmick was they copy the ability from one of their fellow friends um so again same exact thing so good on that well, once again, I am Saber Wolf. Uh, thank you for joining us and listening to us of uh, these podcasts. I am going to make the podcast available on Spotify, which we uploaded courtesy of Anchor, who is actually sponsoring our show series. Um, once again, I'm Saber Wolf. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Bailey, for joining in this uh, little monster mash tonight. Thank you, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.